So our text for tonight is Matthew 10, verses 1 to 4. And he called them to him, his, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Just to highlight, just to put this in a different light. So this is the Son of God come down to earth to save the world through his death and resurrection. He chooses 12 people, 12 close, a group, a group of 12 people close to him who know everything about him or at least to whom he reveals everything about himself. In another gospel, before he chooses them, he spends one night on the mountain praying for these 12. And then he chooses them. So the son of God came to earth, chooses 12 people, and he knows that when he chooses them, one of them will betray him. In chapter 6, verse 64, we're told Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. I want you to understand Jesus is the least or Jesus is the last person on earth who has surprises. We're many times surprised, right? The, the war in Ukraine surprised the world. Or many other things surprise us in a good or bad way. Jesus is never, never, never surprised. We have to start out this, this it's going to be a shorter sermon, but we have to start out this sermon with knowing Jesus is never surprised by anything. So, the question is biblical because it forces a que- uh, uh, an answer from the Bible. Right? Why? Why not just 11 who don't betray? Right? I mean, it's enough what Peter did. Why choose a guy who goes further? Right? So, it's important. It's a, it's a biblical question. It's an important one. So Jesus chooses his own betrayer to be part of his closest group of followers. The question is why and what can we learn from it? So what I'm going to do is I have five answers. Um, probably there are many others. I just gonna, I'm just going to focus on these five. They're from the Bible. They're from the scriptures. Um, we're just going to go through them and then we'll be done. So the first 
The first answer to the question, why did Jesus choose Judas, is first of all to fulfill scripture. So Jesus chooses knowingly Judas in order to betray him because he's fulfilling throughout his ministry the scriptures. The Old Testament prophesied through different prophets, through different, in different periods of time, that this will happen, that Jesus will be betrayed. So Jesus chooses Judas to do that. So in John 13, 18, he says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know who I have, whom I have chosen. Again, he's not surprised. He knows what he's doing. but the scriptures will be fulfilled. He came to do the Father's will. Where is the Father's will expressed? In the scriptures, right? The scriptures, the Father's will will not fall, no matter what. Then in, in Psalm 41, we have this. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me, right? This is a projection all the way to the Last Supper, right? And then Peter in Acts, on the day of Pentecost, he says, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. No matter what, the scripture had to be fulfilled. That's how Jesus functioned. Concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. So step by step, Jesus is moving towards the cross, doing the one thing, fulfilling the scriptures that were foretold about him, prophesied about him. To the single, to the smallest detail possible. What's the point in that? Well, the point is already obvious. I shouldn't even highlight it. The point is the, that the scriptures, the word of God, cannot be broken. And if that doesn't sound encouraging enough, let me put it in a different light. So if, if the scriptures had to be fulfilled to the tiniest detail in the life of Jesus, that means that the scriptures will be fulfilled to the tiniest detail in every single one of our lives. I hope you get what the, how heavy that is. If it had to be fulfilled to the tiniest detail in Jesus' life, it's going to be fulfilled in our own lives because we depend on what he did at the cross and it was fulfilled 100%. I hope that's an encouragement for you because it's a huge one. So that was point number one, or answer number one. Why did Jesus choose Judas? To fulfill the scriptures. Number two. Jesus chooses, chooses Judas in order to prove and show that even sin serves God's purpose. We just talked about how God is in control of everything. The scriptures 
cannot be broken, right? He's in control of everything. Now, by choosing to be, to, um, choosing to be betrayed by a close friend, Jesus shows us the most, that the most despicable act in the world, in the history of humanity, namely the murder of the Son of God, even that sin can be used to serve his plan and purpose. I hope that falls into place in your mind and heart. Without the most horrible sin in the world, we would not be here. And if, if it's not clear, let me actually use the Bible to show it to you. So this is Acts 4, 20, 27 and 28. This is Peter preaching. He says, truly in this city in Jerusalem, truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you have anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the Jews who were against the Pharisees, who were against Jesus, all of them were predestined by God and used by God to bring about this horrible sin that brought about and revealed his plan of salvation for us. And Judas is on this list, right? So by God's hand and his predestination, everything that happened, happened. In other words, the lesson of the choosing of Judas is even the most horrible sin in the world can be chosen, can be used by God for his purpose. You know, just when people think they have the upper hand on God, it turns out that in the end they're actually serving him. You know, Romans 12, uh, Romans 12, <laughs> Romans 8, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his name. Everything works together for good. Who works that for good? God works that for good. And everything means even persecution. Remember, do you remember the context where uh, Jesus will say, teaches them at the beginning of Acts, he says, I'm going to send you out throughout all the world and you will uh, proclaim the gospel. And these guys are like, yeah, but when is that going to happen or how? And we're kind of afraid And you know what sends them out? What pushes them out? It's persecution. You know, they call, they they call. (laughs) They kill Stephen and everybody runs away. But when they run away, what they run away with is with the gospel. And wherever they go, they preach the good news of the gospel. So God uses persecution to send out his first missionaries. 
So do you see how the, 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 the verse in Romans 8 works? Everything works together for the good of those who love Christ. Everything, even persecution. Point number three, or answer number three. Jesus chooses Judas to teach us and show us practically that saving faith is not the same thing with religious activity. So look at, look at the text. It says, he, Jesus, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. But it's not, it doesn't say that he only gives it to the 11 and not to Judas. It says he gave the 12 and he sends out the 12 with these powers. Do you see what that means? Judas has the power to do miracles. Judas has the power to remove demons from people. Judas has the power to, to uh, heal the sick. He has the power to bring about faith in the heart of a man to whom he preaches, and so on and so forth. And he sees, he sees that in the 11 around him, he sees that same power in himself. He knows it's from Jesus. He knows it's from God. By now, he knows that this power is not human power. He sees people coming to faith in Jesus. And what does he do? He remains a betrayer. He remains the one who betrays. He goes along accomplishing what he was destined to do. Now, what can we learn from that? Well, it's as simple as the title of it. Jesus shows us that the religious associations, religious practices, miracle working, are not an evidence of being born again. They're not. You know, in Matthew, there's a very, probably one of the saddest verses in the Bible. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Do you see where I'm going with this? That's Judas. Him and probably many others in history have fallen into this trap. As far as we know, Judas removed demons from people. As far as we know, he healed people. As far as he, we know, he brought people to faith in Jesus. And do you know what's the continuation to this verse? It's even more sad than the actual verse. I never knew you. 
depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What's the lesson here for us? Number one, to always be aware and always test things according to the word when it comes to miracle working and things that seem off. And two, to constantly test our hearts. Right? Answer number four. Why does Jesus choose Judas? To show us that God's sovereignty does not undermine human responsibility. Judah serves as an illustration that predestination, on the one hand, and human responsibility go always hand in hand. Judas's destiny, wherever you are on a theological timeline or whatever, what kind of a flavor you have, theologically speaking, you cannot say that Judas was not destined to do this. He was. He was destined to betray Christ. Let me read it to you. John 17, 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name. Jesus is praying, right? This is the high priestly prayer. I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. John 6, 64. Jesus knew from the beginning. Now, beginning could be when he started his ministry and chose them, or beginning could be Ephesians kind of beginning. He chose us before the foundation of the world. So Jesus knew from the beginning who it was who would betray him. And the next verse, 665, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Judas was not granted to come to the Father, right? That's why, do you see the, the, the connection here? This is why, this is why is the previous verse. He knew who was to betray him, and that's why he said, nobody can come to me unless it's granted by the Father. Judas didn't repent because it was not granted to him by the Father to repent. He really was responsible. And he even says it himself. This was the most striking aspect. I don't know why. I, I always missed it. I, I haven't, I've read it so many times. I just didn't see it. Matthew 24, 7. 
right after he betrays him, he says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. So what do we learn here? What's the lesson here? Well, first of all, one of the lessons should be not to stumble over God's sovereignty over everyone and everything. Don't stumble about that. It's the greatest gift. If anybody should be now in control of everything that happens, let it be Christ. Why would you stumble over that? Everything he created is his. Why do we even pray if we stumble over God's sovereignty? Because when you pray or when we pray, what we say is, God, do something that is literally impossible to do. Right? That's what, we, that's what we're doing. Stop the war. Right? We cannot stop the war. So, is he sovereign or is he not sovereign? We have to really <laughs> put our foot down, right? If he's sovereign, let him be sovereign over everything. Don't worry about what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat, you know. And answer number, number five. Why did Jesus choose Judas? To show us that satisfaction in money or the love of money corrupts our souls. This is probably the saddest, um, saddest point of the sermon. Um, Judas serves as a vivid example of the terrible power of the love of money. Um, in John 12, we have these two verses. So this is, uh, Mary comes in to, an, um, to anoint Jesus with the, with the anointment, you know, the perfumed uh, oil or whatever that is. And... Um, from somewhere on the side, Ju uh, Judas calls out and he says, why are you wasting this? This could have been sold and the money could have been used to, to help the poor, right? Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Sounds good. I mean, it's a, it's a decent amount. Maybe they actually could have done that. But then John, the writer of the gospel, comments below. He says, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Why is it sad? I said it's the saddest point. Just imagine. You're together with this close group of people. 
seeing Jesus for three years, you're walking around with him through good and bad and weird and difficult and miracles and and you see everything he does. You even smell his sweat and you hear his voice and you see his teeth and you, 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 you get to know Jesus intimately. And you are the one who steals from his bag. This is not just another guy. This is the son of God. And you're the one in charge of his money and you're stealing from him. Just imagine. (laughs) Judas loved money more than he loved Jesus. And It's almost ironic. But again, Jesus knows. Do you think Jesus didn't know? In John 5, it says he knew what was in man. Nobody needed to tell him. You think he didn't know for three years that Judas was buying small gifts for himself? He knew. Do you think do you think it weird that the way uh, Judas sold sold Jesus was for thirty pieces of silver? He didn't just betray Jesus. The Bible teaches that he sold Jesus, right? He had a price for it. And why is that? That was his treasure. He could have. Called, he could have asked for whatever, I don't know, from the, Rome, from the Pharisees, right? He could have asked for property. He could have asked for strength, power, to be enrolled into some higher status or whatever. No, he sold him for 30 coins. That is not a coincidence. It cannot be a coincidence. So when he got his choice, when he got his chance, he sold the Son of God. Now, again, I said at the beginning, probably there are other, I mean, not probably, surely there are other answers to the question, why did Jesus choose Judas? But I think these five kind of sum up why he's there. And why is this point, or why is this question, I said it's, it's biblical and it's important. Why is it important? Because from now on, the, the shift from, up until now, the, the focus on the gospel of Matthew was on Jesus. But now somehow the, the focus shifts, and it's also on Jesus and the apostles. He's sending them out. He's giving them power. He's kind of giving them a glimpse of what it is to not be with them, right? They're going away two by two into villages and different regions. He's giving them, he's showing them how it would feel like to go and proclaim the gospel or what 
by then they knew about the kingdom, right? The kingdom of God to different other people and him not being with them. And so it's important because Judas is there. Judas is part of that. And it's important to know who he was. Because yes, we sometimes look at Peter and we kind of point him out as the one who betrayed Jesus or I don't know, Thomas as the one who does not believe until he puts his finger into the side and so on. But we need to remember that amongst them was also the one he chose to betray him. And we should take courage from the, even though it sounds kind of peculiar, but we should take courage from who Peter was and did and from who Thomas was and did and how they recovered through Christ and became who they were afterwards. Because they were, as I was quoting in my prayer, if you catched it, we were not destined for wrath, but we were destined to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So conclusion, why did Jesus choose his own betrayer to be part of his closest group of followers? And what are the lessons for us? Number one, he chose him to fulfill the scriptures. Scriptures cannot be broken and God is in control of everything at all time, everywhere. Number two, even horrific sin, sins serve the saving, sorry, yes, serve the saving purpose of God in his sovereign plan. Nobody and nothing exists randomly on this earth and in this world. Time with Jesus and miracle working are not proof of saving faith. Number four, predestination and human accountability always go hand in hand. And finally, the love of money is behind the worst sin in the world, that is, the murder of the Son of God. So let me pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you for the fact that it does not um, pass over difficult things or controversial things or things that we don't like or things that don't seem very light and upbeat and, and I don't know, comfortable. Thank you for the fact that the Bible is a realistic book. And thank you for the fact that it has power. Lord, keep us away from the love of money and give us the spirit in abundance to fall in love with Jesus and proclaim him in the world. I ask this in Jesus' name.